Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Let's begin our nighttime relaxation. You've never felt more. <coughs> Feel your eyelids getting. <coughs> now let yourself lay back and get a good night of... <coughs> when cold and flu symptoms won't let you sleep, ask for Night Nurse. Its unbeatable strength helps put cold and flu to bed. Only available at the pharmacy counter. For cold and flu relief, visit dayandnightnurse.co.uk slash verify for verification. Always read the label. This is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favourite shows and this is one we think you're going to love. Hi, this is Nina, the host of the Nina Calza Show. Make sure you listen to my podcast where I cover every Liverpool Premier League game. The wins, the draws, the losses. I'm not going to lie, we don't have an awful lot of those. Good things are happening with Liverpool Football Club. And you can listen to this podcast. Just search for the Anfield Index podcast on Acast, on Apple Podcasts, or any other provider you listen through. So join me as I cover all of Liverpool's Premier League games on Anfield Index. Thank you so much for listening. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from the UK and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, I'm Tom Kerridge from the BBC Good Food podcast, where each week we chat about seasonal ingredients, smart cooking techniques, and easy recipes to make at home that are totally lush. The BBC Good Food podcast is sponsored by Victorinox. Known for the iconic Swiss army knife, Victorinox began as a cutler's workshop in the heart of Switzerland. Crafted from European walnut wood and completely Swiss-made, the Swiss Modern Knife Collection has all the key tools to prepare your seasonal meals and is perfect for both professional and amateur chefs. Claim a 20% discount on orders £100 or above on victorinox.com using the code TKPOD20. Terms and conditions from the website apply. Subscribe now to enjoy the BBC Good Food podcast with me, Tom Kerridge, every week on your favourite podcast app. Busy being black means that those of us at the embattled intersections are often busy doing the life-giving work of loving ourselves a little bit harder. Throughout my conversation with the persistent optimist Ricky Beetle Blair, I'm reminded of just how essential our point of view is. 
Are we able to look at our lives, at ourselves, and see the beauty that abounds? Are we able to understand that our role on Earth is to help move everybody forward? And if so, how much better and brighter can the day and the future be for all of us? We speak on the AIDS epidemic, the loss of his life partner to suicide, and how he maintains that contagious and effervescent optimism in the face of Trump, negativity, and what can feel like a growing global hopelessness. I'm Josh Rivers, and I'm Busy Being Black with Ricky Beetle Blair. So, Ricky Beetle Blair, hi. Thank you so much um, for sitting down with me, <laughs> um, and also for all of your support. Oh, so it means a great deal. Oh, thank you for sitting me down. So, I want to start kind of where we left off last time, which was about this kind of like uh, persistent optimism that you have. Uh-huh. I think it's a nice place for us to start. Yeah. And how have you learned to cultivate this, this optimistic outlook? I'm a kind of mixture, like most people are, I guess, of a dreamer and uh, not a dreamer, a, a, a planner. I'm a planner and uh, an explorer and, and I'm a, a pragmatist. I'm very logical and pragmatic, um, even though I deal with the arts, which is all about um, kind of projection and, and projecting yourself into possible worlds. But the pragmatic approach to me is optimism. To me, pessimism masquerades as practicality and it's anything but. Um, feeling bad about stuff is a waste of resources. Um, and having a bad relationship with yourself is an unsustainable, um, uh, unsustainable tactic. Uh, it's just, in, in the end, if you want to get something out of life, you're going to have to get into appreciation. And, and into possibility. Shutting that all off is, is uh, redundant and time-wasting. So to get up in the morning and go, oh, you know, everything sucks, and nothing's going to happen, um, is like, what kind of life is that? That's just not, it's just, it just doesn't seem sustainable to me. So for me to look at the day and go, okay, this is all, look at all of this. What can I do with it? Look at all, look in the mirror and say, look at all of that. What am I going to do with that? Is um, the best way to, to progress. And was there a moment for you, like a catalyst in that thinking? So were you at one point living a life where you were very pessimistic and, and you woke up to the idea of this, you know, taking it all in, what's That's in front of you? It's really interesting. I mean, because we're all born optimistic, right? I'm going to get out of this womb and I'm going to get out there and look at this and wow, and I'm smiling at me and oh man, like, and, you, know, you have all this kind of wonder and all of this appreciation, right? Because it's new and, um, and then you, you develop expectation and, um, and that expectation gets dashed and expectation is not the same thing as appreciation. Wanting things to be nice in the way they were five minutes ago or a year ago or uh, you know, at the beginning of your journey is, again, not practical because it's not going to be nice in the same way. It can be better. 
and it can be nice in a in a lesser way, but it's never going to be the same thing. It's something new. But we are, are creatures of habit, and we create these habits. And so I I had this habit of um, I decided to believe. I I lived in a place where I was in 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 between defiance of people's expectations of me and and um, and profiling of me and. Um, I was, yeah, I was living in a midway place between defiance of that and therefore a form of acceptance of that. If you're defying something, it's because you accept it as an important thing. And, uh, and so I t the story I was telling myself was, I am doing so well for a black boy. I'm doing so well for a boy from a council estate. I'm doing really well for a gay boy. I'm doing really well for an effeminate boy. I'm doing really, really well for the kind of person I am, born into the circumstances I am. And so I kept telling myself, which of course is a really positive thing, so I'm doing really well for who I am. And then of course what that really means is there's this glass ceiling that you have created in your brain of saying, but I'm only, I'm, I've achieved so much that, um, that how could I possibly achieve more? How could I ask more of myself? How could I ask more of my day? when it's, it's a miracle that I've survived this, what I've been through, is what you tell yourself. And then, and, and so you go... Which is based on this expectation, this expectation or understanding that that's as far as this X can go. Yeah. I.e. good for you, a black boy because that's as far as black people can go. Yeah, a black right? boy can't be prime minister. A black boy can't be, in my, when I was growing up, couldn't be a director or make movies. He couldn't be a movie star or a pop star or a cover boy or the editor of Gay Times <laughs> or do you know what I mean? I mean, the evidence was there before you. There's lots of people saying you can be anything and they're right. But there's so much evidence to say you can be anything if you've got, if you've got a good head start. You can be anything if you're born to money or you're born to... Uh, it, you're, you have a certain kind of face or you have a certain kind of body or you have a certain kind of um, degree of luck you know that's what you have to have and um, and that you 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 know keep off the grass right keep off the grass stay in your lane yeah stay in your lane keep off the grass and push push the boundaries a little bit but not too much and so I was always someone who pushed the boundaries of what was possible and therefore, and I quite rightly felt good about that, but I would think, but that's enough. So I would think to myself, well, I can't be really successful, otherwise other gay people will say, who does he think he is? If I, if I do too well, other black people won't relate to me because there aren't any, that's a different stratosphere. And people are always saying to me, you're unusual, you're strange, you're, you're, um, you're, uh, and so, uh, how strange was I prepared to be? If, if I actually really achieved everything that was in my heart and in my mind, I would be a real alien. The alien that people were telling me I was, I would actually be there. I would be out of touch. I would be alone. And I would be um, uh, um, unrelatable to, and uh, I would be uh, not human. 
So would you say you kind of recoiled from that because you... Yeah, I think I constantly said to myself, I'm not recoiling from that. I'm embracing everything. But a little part of me believed that don't go too far. Don't be too crazy. Who's going to want to sleep with you if you wear that? Who's going to want to date you if you say that? Who's going to hire you if you, if you, do, if you do that? There were all these things that were... That were that, that all these messages that were saying, you know, you're already pushing the boundaries. Don't get greedy. Don't get um, don't get above yourself. Don't get don't push yourself so far out that no one that you'll be completely alone and independent of the world. And um, and then of course what I realised eventually was that I was withholding myself. But actually. Um, well, I thought maybe me being polite and not rocking the boat too much or me being socially acceptable was me being um, erasing myself and me depriving the world of, of my light and of my strength and of my creativity and of my passion and of its progress. That our difference is our contribution to evolution that we are meant to be different and the more different you are the more options you are offering to us as a human race and um, it's not a bad thing to have opposable thumbs and be the first one to get that apple down off the tree it's what it's or or or, or discover fire or um or create language or or build a city or build or, or create the wheel you are contributing if you decide you know what I, I'm a genius and I'm going to tap into that. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm beautiful and I'm going to offer that. I'm brilliant and I'm going to share that and I'm going to encourage other people to be the same. And that is the job and we're constantly telling ourselves that's someone else's job, someone else's job to be beautiful, to be happy, to be fulfilled, to be fulfilling, to be um, a contributor, to be a leader, and it's not someone else's job. And, and so it's a practice, right? Because I'm trying to codify that, that transition, it, right? That <clears throat> the, the changing our viewpoints um, is hard. Yes. And so for anyone who... Um, Regaining our viewpoints. Because I sorry, think we come into point. the world with that viewpoint and then we, we start to doubt it. And so what is that practice for you? The practice is remember, looking at being practical and looking at the truth that A, I, if I want to be happy, I'm going to have to work at it and, um, and enjoy that because that's happiness in there. Um, that it's not something that other people, we're all in this together. So not every, there are lots of people who are sending messages to us to help each other. But, um, and I have to focus on those while paying attention to the, to the fact that there are many of us in pain and many of us who disagree to embrace it all, to embrace every challenge, but to remember that core belief, which is that I'm here to advance the human race, which is what every single one of us is here for, every single one of us. And um, the, that, uh, that it, you, we don't ejaculate one sperm and it makes a baby, we ejaculate millions and they all help it happen. And that's my job, is to be part of that forward motion, get to the get to the womb, get to the uterus, get to the egg and fertilise it. That's my job. And, um, and we're, if we all do that job, there will be life. That's the job. And, um, and 
if we're going to say give up because we might not be the actual sperm that actually makes the egg, then we're killing the, uh, the process. Oh, yeah, and, and as a result, the end product. Right. The, the potential. Yes, which we all contribute to. Just as everything I do in my day, the thousand and one thoughts I have, the billion and one thoughts I have, and emotions are all part of it, and it's all taking me forward, and I have to treasure all of it, but keep going forward. Mm. I, don't have, I shouldn't be discarding myself. I shouldn't be discarding my ambitions and discarding my, my, um, my strangeness and discarding my... Um, my qualities I think this includes you know negative thoughts you have but they are part of it they don't lead it we don't kill off all the positive sperm and just send off the negative ones all of it goes forward and, but, uh, and, and all of it is there to teach us you know and to so every bad thing that happens is there to to expand me mm. it's not there to crush me it's there to expand me you know yeah, because I've, I've learned that anger can be generative. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of anger, but of course it's useful. And, um, and it depends on what kind of anger it is and what you do with it. Uh, ang- anger can be a great motivator. It's just not a great ruler. That's right. Oops. You know, you don't want anger to be flying the plane. Hmm. It can be fuel, but don't let it fly the plane. Hmm. And uh, then you're going to get where you want to go. You know, you need clean fuel, um, so don't let it get so adulterated. And, you know, it needs that kind of... You need some of that energy. You need some of that um, sense of injustice. But if you let that rule you, it will. it's too heavy. I'd like to talk about the, the 80s and kind of the HIV-AIDS crisis okay. and... What it was like being a gay black man in those in that time? Well, the 80s, I was born in 61. So 81, which was the first um, diagnosis, that, you know, I think it was December of 81, that the first person died of AIDS in the UK. And the words, I remember about a year later, was when, I think, no, I think then, I think I was going out with this guy that following spring, and he actually mentioned, we heard of this thing about gay cancer, and, um, and it was this huge thing that just as we were, you know, um, really exploring, you know, you're starting to get your sexual confidence, and you're, it, to suddenly have this, it's all attached to death, is quite a shock. And it, at that time, it was like, death. It was like, everyone was talking about death. And, um, and I'd just come to, I, I came out quite early at seven, 16, 17, and, um, which was early for then. And, um, and I'd always had a very strong sense of myself. And, um, and, we'd, and we'd had this exciting time in the 70s with, oh, Elton John's bisexual, everyone would say, and David Bowie's bisexual, which everyone knew. And, and the Stones, are, you know, there were all these groups, that, and Blue Reeds, and there were a lot of my friends at school um, were very excited about that kind of sexual fluidity that was happening at the time and gender fluidity with Lou Reed, you know, um, uh, talking about drag queens and stuff. It was very exciting. And then suddenly we hit this wall in, in the 80s and, um, and it was very um, shocking. And of course, losing people was... I lost people who were very, 
very, very close to me and and the kind of the sharks circled closer and closer until one of us had pulled out the boat than another. And it, it, so it was a very um, strange time. But, you know, I never, even then, amongst my friends, we never felt like there was anything super wrong with us. It was... Uh, I think I was lucky that in my kind of group of people, we knew it was a disease like other diseases and that, um, you know, whooping cough didn't mean that God didn't like babies or... Do you know what I mean? We never attached our our, um, self-worth to it. But it was incredibly difficult with with our image, which was just growing with the public. Having said that, it meant that... Lots of people, perversely, of course, there's always a kind of weird upside to everything. And, uh, and, and it really galvanised us as a, as a movement from being just focused on having a good time. Disco, all of which, you know, was great. The, um, and, and focused us on, on um, celebration of who we were, were as opposed to just having a good time. And it focused us... So adding a bit more substance. Yeah, we were forced to. We were forced to become activists, which had started to die off. You know, we had that great legacy from the early 80s, the early, uh, late 60s and early 70s. And then it kind of planed off a little bit and all the energy was, was going into kind of music movements like punk and stuff, which was great. Again, I was around for that. But then there was, there was, it was, you know, we were really focused on exploring hedonism, and then we were forced to to look at politics, and we were forced to. Um, so all of it was good for us in a in a in a way. Those of us that lived, um, and it was really it really taught us that you have to that this is a long journey, and we're going to have to to knuckle down, and it meant that. People were outed who weren't going to come out any other way. Pop stars and tennis players and, and fashion designers. and we were, It was impossible for the public to not realise that we were among the best of all kinds of things. That, we, you know, that, that, that the greatest pop stars, the greatest writers, the greatest um, sports people contained us. And that was a big thing. Just as... Just as um, uh, uh, Section 28 was a similar thing. It was horrendous at, the, at first glance, and then it really forced us to galvanise as a as a movement. And so, gay pride marches went from a few thousand people turning up. I remember I went on a gay pride march in like eighty in like eighty one, and we were like, there must be a thousand people here. Oh no, I think it's two thousand people. You know, that's what we were saying to each other. And then there's the Section 28 march. It was like 100,000 people. Wow. And then Pride that year was like so many people coming to celebrate because, um, because we'd been told there was so little to celebrate. We, and it was so political then. So to me, it, all of the, the diversity, the, um, the adversity was galvanizing. And so I guess anger comes into that, but also um, love that we decided to we were going to have to love ourselves a little bit harder. And so suddenly you have Stonewall, which has been incredible. You have Peter Tatchell. You have, you had, at the time, you had ACT UP. And, you know, a lot of people involved in these movements weren't very nice to me. 
they weren't very nice. It was all very white. It was all very stay in your lane. It was all very, who do you think you are? We're the cool people. You're not. We're right. You're wrong. Um, people, even in the movie Pride, which I loved, you could see some of those people weren't that nice, really, mm-hmm. and, um, and didn't behave as well as they might have done. But it still took us forward as a, as a, as a family. Yeah, because we can notice the absence of blackness and still be appreciative that we were all ostensibly pulled forward. Oh my God, listen, the, it frustrates me, the, the absence of working class voices, um, you know, the, the way that they pushed away uh, a lot. Of, there was a lot of crushing of femininity and, and stuff that was going on and acceptable faces. We've seen all of that. But actually, it, you know, I, we, we also owe a great debt to the privileged classes who, who felt that they had the, the organisational wherewithal and, and um, intellectual and wherewithal and access, but also intellectual, you know, they had the sense of entitlement, actually, that meant they could go, right, let's start an organisation, let's lobby parliament. It takes a sense of entitlement to do that because you're dealing with entitled people and they could speak their language. So it's like the... the you know, around the corner from here, there was the, the Tate Britain had that exhibition last year, which was called uh, Queer Britain. And a friend of mine went to see it and he said, I didn't like it. There were no black people in it. We're represented. He's not black, but he was like, where were the black people? Where were the really queer people? And I, I, it was an exhibition of, of queer art that had come, you know, through up until um, the, the 60s and the partial decriminalisation. So it was art from basically the Bloomsbury group. So you're looking at lots and lots of privileged people. But they stood out there and they made the art. They made incredible books. They made incredible paintings. They made incredible music, sculptures. And they used their privilege to take us all forward. And if they hadn't done that, then there would be nothing because coal miners weren't, didn't have that opportunity. Um, the, you know, the, the um, West Indian bus drivers didn't have that opportunity. They, um, and these people used their privilege to take us forward. So we have to be grateful to everybody who did something whilst opening it up further. And, I, and so we, just as that, I feel that like we have to be grateful to people who are privileged and have used their privilege to take us forward. We have to be grateful for all the adversity. We have to be grateful for, um, bizarrely, I find it hard to, even as I say it, but I know it in my core that I have to be grateful for um, HIV and AIDS and I have to be grateful for all the repression that we had because it's made us stronger and it's made us richer and, um, and it's left me with a lot of um, legacies that I have to honour because we're all going to die anyway. Mm-hmm. I have often felt a sense of loss you know, to go back to your point about, um, you know, what the HIV-AIDS epidemic revealed was that the best of everyone um, was gay, right? So d- dancers... What would have happened if they hadn't gone, right? <clears throat> yeah. So I, I often feel that. And I feel like many times I feel I'm personally trying to bridge that gap and make these connections to people who are still here. Well, A, they, we wouldn't have known about them sometimes in some cases, but also they are with us. Um, everybody's going to die and, um, and we all leave our legacies in our time. And though I don't enjoy losing people before their time, the, um, the, 
we have to channel that sense of um, yearning into a sense of creation. So yes, I yearn to have um, people like my friend Sean, who taught me so much and died of AIDS, and um, and Freddie Mercury, who I, at the time I wasn't a particularly huge fan of, but clearly was an extraordinarily creative soul. You know, it, it's it, rather than just spend my time missing them, I have to time um, spend my time um, connecting with them because they didn't leave nothing. Mm. They, um, I, I can spend as much time as I want regretting, but that what does does that take me forward? Uh, the the I understand that whole Christian doctrine of he died so that we can live. And so we have to see, see that we are going to die so that others can live mm. and that others have died so we can live. So let's honour that by, as, until we die, living. Yeah, I think that sense of loss has fueled for me the unearthing of stories. Yes. And that this absence of seeing myself and trying to like, okay, well, I can't be the you know, the first person to ever wanted to do this or dream to do whatever. And so they're so kind of uncovering those untold stories. Amazing stories. Really powerful. And yes, it is powerful. And those people lived. They lived. And, um, and we have to understand that these people um, live and are living and are within us. I mean, I, I think I told you, before, I lost my boyfriend a couple of years ago um, through suicide. And it's incredibly painful, and it's incredible. And there's not a day that goes by where I don't think I miss him. And um, and the but um, the best way to pay tribute to him is to um, is to celebrate him, and is to um, is to see that he is he is not gone he is transformed and uh and so and and in his case it's suicide so he chose to transform and and it's not something it's i work hard at tr trying to get other people to not feel the same uh way but at the same time it's a waste if i just say if i just consider his life to be a waste then it will be one and it, it isn't one it um he is not wasted, he is not gone, he lives within me, and, the, and his beauty is undiminished by his fragility. That's really beautiful. He was, and is, really beautiful. And, and for me to not, to forget about all of that is a waste, it's not practical. What's practical is to make the most of what he has taught me and what he has left me and what he is teaching me and he is consistently teaching me he's teaching me not to take things for granted he's teaching me what other the, the roads that people can go down and how to help them and how to love them and how to connect with them uh, and knowing him that is what he would want uh, and even if it isn't what, is what, what he would want which it is it's what I want, mm. and I am alive. Would you say he's been your biggest teacher? That experience? Um, he's my one of my. It's like a panel of amazing teachers, you know, parental teachers. My my siblings. I have four brothers and sisters who challenge me all the time and teach me so much. And um, my friends, my teachers. Uh, so 
you know, that there, there are these kind of amazing spirits that dance with me and that I have to honour, uh, you know, including people who have, who have opposed me. I realise that it's my job to honour them in, in, in how I deal with that and not get lost in my ego and get lost in my um, frustration that people are not fulfilling my vision of how they should live, die, behave and respond to me. But honour them by honouring myself and, um, and honour them without expectation for what they should, how they should respond or appreciate me that the appreciation's all in my hands and it's all in my mind and it's all in my heart and there's more than enough to go around and I don't have to demand anything of anybody else. Whilst, um, you know, I mentor people and, and I know that expecting things of them is... is um, that's not the word. Expecting is not the thing. Um, encouraging uh, them and believing in their possibility and appreciating who they are in their journey at this moment is, is my job and it's my teaching that anybody I'm teaching is teaching me anybody and, it, and I, the thing I learn again and again and again and again and again is that the job is love right to love me to love them to love everything in a democratic human way and so, so you have to love certain things that you wouldn't um, initially, instinctively love. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you have, whilst not necessarily encouraging repeated behaviour, if someone hurts me, it's not um, incumbent on me to encourage them to keep hurting me. But it is um, available to me to learn from that and appreciate that um, even while I, have, I avoid toxic levels of that. Yeah, I was listening to um, a Buddhist um, monk oh. saying that even people who have hurt you, hold them in your mind and wish them love and happiness. And I did it and I burst out crying. Wow. <laughs> and it was just, so, it was such, because it was related to the situation. Yeah. And... I was so angry until I held two people in my mind and just said, I wish you love and happiness. And it was almost like this huge sense of freedom. relief. Yeah, freedom. freedom. Because otherwise you go round and round wishing they were different and they're not. Mm -hmm. And wishing that... And, um, and giving them so much power over you. That's right. Because it's, <laughs> it's, it's so true. It's, it's power. And... I do ultimately want people to be happy because I want to be happy. Right. And wishing other people happiness and hoping they find that happiness and that joy and that they bump into it um, means that I'm able to wish it for myself. Yes. Because my happiness isn't at somebody else's expense. Exactly. Exactly. And also that realizing that you are the keeper of your happiness, that you are the owner of that. And it doesn't have to be outsourced to somebody else. No one's more skillful at making you happy than you. And, and also that realizing that some of the things that people do to us is mistakenly or not, is sometimes their version of what will make them happy. And, um, and, that, and so that they want exactly the same thing as you, that you're not different, that you are um, family and you are kin and you are um, 
cells in the same body and they are doing what they think will make their part of the body happy. And so why not let them have it? Mm. Like, why not show them that they can have it a different way? And why mirror it? You know, I've, I've been really thinking about that a lot and how, about how we mirror. Uh, so somebody says, somebody says, what about me? And, and you, you think, how selfish. And your response to them is, what about me? <laughs> And then, now there's two selfish people. <laughs> so you haven't, you haven't diffused their selfishness. You, um, you've just, um, you've made the, you've legitimized it. Because once you're saying, what about me? They're saying, see, he, he's just thinking about himself. That's all about him, really. That's what it boils down to. And you're thinking the same thing. And it just keeps escalating because you're making them right by your own... They, they're, they're being selfish because they're living in a selfish world in their mind. And then you make that true. And then they, they double down. And we, we're seeing that right now. It's impossible for me at the moment. I'm not spiritually aligned enough to let go of the whole kind of Trump thing where I just keep criticising him. And then I realise... Anyone can see that he is responding to criticism. And that's how he does it. He's completely fragile and, um, and completely panicking about masculinity and power and status and, and his whiteness and all of it is crisis for him. None of it's happy. He's not happy at all. And, um, and he, all he wants is to be happy and to be loved. And this is the way he goes about it. And I constantly just go, he doesn't deserve it. He doesn't deserve <laughs> it. And, um, and I make him right. He, he, he reads the press reports, he sees my placard at the march, and he goes, see, they hate me. And, uh, they, and, uh, and so then he goes into, doubles down, and we keep reflecting each right. other. And, um, and, and for me, it's really, I'm finding at the moment impossible to step out of that paradigm because I'm so constantly triggered by what he's doing. But it's actually, it's nothing to do with him. It's all to do with me and my expectations of what a president should be and what a person should be and what a man should be and what I should be. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I enter into it with him and I keep strengthening him. I strengthening, I strengthen his power over me. I strengthen his power over my mind, over my mood. And, um, and, yeah, and what, he, he can't handle of, that kind of power. Right. And it goes back to that old adage that, like, you know, what you dislike most in someone else is something you dislike in yourself. 100%. Right. Right. It's the famous thing of, of Caliban in The Tempest smashing the mirror upon seeing its reflection. You know, you mm. see himself in the reflection. You know, the thing we want to destroy most is what is the ugly version of us or the, the failed version of us or... Um, other parts of us because if we're honest almost everything that holds us back um, certainly for me a spoilt westerner you know with central heating in my home and uh, the uh, and the capacity to run up debts and so on and so forth um, I, I I'll look at all of these all, all these obstacles and um, and the uh, and I'll blame everybody else when I know it's me and the way I manage myself, my moods, my career, my presentation, my things, my thoughts about myself, it, that, that no one ha can make me, as the saying goes, feel inferior without my permission. Yeah. And yet I, I, I constantly say, it's them, it's them, it's you, you're making me feel this way. <laughs> Whereas actually there's only, we've all seen it, that we've all seen perfect instances where 
you know, somebody will say, how dare you attack me physically? Um, which, of course, I don't condone. I don't want people to attack each other physically. But I've been in situations where, you know, you go, don't attack me physically. And then somebody will, then you get dressed up and go off to an S&M night and say, attack me physically. <laughs> so it's all about your mindset, clearly, right? Now, of course, I'm, you know, we know I'm not, hopefully, that I'm not leaping forward to just punch people in the mouth as what they want, really. But, um, because, but the, the issue there is control, right? The issue is, is you, is your um, agency. Mm. And so that's what you should focus on. Focus on your agency and, and, um, and moving yourself into places where you're taking responsibility for how you respond and how you feel. Because a lot of it is just about a sense of not of, of powerlessness. It hurt, it's upsetting to me if someone disrespects me if I haven't got control over it. And getting our power back is can be hard. Well, it is hard, but it's actually where we started, and right. the the thing that we're guarding against is not giving it up, rather than regaining it, because we have it. Okay, so this is perfect, and I've got three. Of your tweets uh-huh. that I'd really like you to read. Okay. Um, it starts with this one here. Every rose. Every rose is beautiful, regardless of whether it is picked. Your worth is not bestowed by another's perception and never will be. Mm. Well, I constantly, um, I'm assailed by that truth. I'm, and yeah, like everybody else, I want to... I want compliments, but then, you know what, I want compliments, I want to be hired, I want to be followed on Facebook, or I want to be, you know, uh, somebody to give me a compliment when I wear a cute t-shirt or whatever, right? But the, but, um, the, the truth is that, uh, that I, I am cute whether you see it or not, that, the, that I am, uh, I am, worthwhile whether you like me or not that doesn't change me all it changes is um my perception of you and how you're serving me and so right right? so to be the only one in the room and not be lonely Mm. is so important and to be the only one there and still feel appreciated is so important because I really believe that if you don't have a great relationship with yourself, it is impossible to have a great relationship with anyone else. Because mm. the, then, no matter what compliments you get, you'll just say they're lying. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, they say well, I'm slim, but I'm still going to starve yeah. myself. Yeah. They say I'm beautiful, but I'm not as beautiful as they are, so they're just patronising yeah. me. Yeah, well, what do they want? Yeah, <laughs> or, or, or they've got bad taste, or they may change their mind, or um, this is a trap. Uh, you know, there's all these different thoughts we go through when all they're doing is stating a fact, you are beautiful. I mean, you are beautiful. You're an incredible constellation of miracles, right? I mean, you're just like, uh, you're the big bang in action. You're everything. And it's such an incredible thing. And then to go, uh, for us to go, oh, but um, I can't afford a jet ski. You know, it's like, right? And that's what we do. We just have drip-down versions of that. Obviously, there are people who are genuinely poor and genuinely in pain, and, and those are real things. But even so, for them to just 
only be that and not all the beautiful things that go with that is, is self-robbery. Right. We're going to start robbing ourselves. Right. Depriving ourselves of ourselves. Yeah, actually read the last one. Work early, work late, work hard, have fun. Make love, make art, make progress, make a living, make a life, make magic. Huh. Well, I believe that. I believe that it's... That, um, that human beings are happiest uh, when we're in endeavouring. Um, so work doesn't mean slave hard. It doesn't mean... Um, uh, suffer hard it doesn't mean because I know a lot of people jump with work they jump to wage slavery it means it's, it's, but it's all work you know you're, if your lungs stop working you die you, have to, you are always working so it's about working with intention and, fi- and you know and finding joy and uh fulfillment in what you're doing each moment and and being focused about it. Harold Thurman, I think, says something like, don't figure out what the world needs. Figure out what you need and then go do that. Yeah, because what the world needs something is more like people who are doing what they want. <laughs> That's exactly what he and, said. Uh, who have come alive. Do what makes you come alive. Yes. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. That's what he said, yeah. 100%. And so that is work. I mean, something... I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I love my work. Um, and, and we have these interesting conversations. People will say, well, not everybody can do what they love. Well, okay, but you can. Right. Um you know, just let's start with you. Let's start with me. I can. I can do what I love. And I'm going to. And I have done. And of course that requires doing things that are uncomfortable or inconvenient or... Um, it, it, but if you love it, you know, it, it can be... It can be... Getting dressed up for somebody can really be, like, ugh, a lot of work. But if you're excited about meeting them and you want to uh, 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 go on this date with them, you, you do it joyfully. And you, you know, whatever it is, if you're ironing clothes or dry cleaning them or buying them or, or just picking them, you put that effort in. And it's all about your attitude. And then you, a year later, you're like, oh, I can't be bothered to dress for them. But actually, that, that effort is all about joy. If you find the joy in, in um, dressing for yourself every day, you will do it. You have to, but it's all work. It's all work. And for anybody to tell you anything else is, is, um, is uh, lying to you. It's all work. Um, just as your, your sperm had to work to get to the egg, the egg had to work at making you, the, um, you have to work at making yourself happy. You have to work at relaxing. You have to work at all, at, 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 um, at uh, knowing yourself, um, learning to like yourself, then learning to love yourself, and then learning how to share that with people. And, um, and it gives you something to do. The last thing you want is nothing to do. Sometimes just lying there and enjoying the sun or the breeze or the, or the, the moment is work too. For someone like me, that is work. I have to work at just doing nothing, but I have to do that work. 
Thank you. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? I wanted to ask you about stuff. Oh, fine. Um, <laughs> I wanted to ask um, how you are working at... Uh, actually, I, I think I mentioned this to you before and I bumped into you. Do you think that the whole circumstance happened because you subconsciously had decided that you were going to do something even bigger with this? I don't know. I had this kind of feeling that I wasn't, I hadn't been living in my truth. Like that I had kind of like accelerated so quickly. I had found, I'd figured out what I wanted to do with my life in early 2016, late 2015, and then kind of pivoted my entire life to focus on that. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to work for the queer community. And everything just kind of accelerated so quickly. And the whole time I had this kind of like um, imposter syndrome. And so as things just kept moving, I felt like I was having these doubts inside. And I was like, is this this the direction that I want to be going in? Is, Is this the job that I want? I asked, myself a, I asked myself a question in the summer, which was, should someone of my energies and passions be working in an all-white organization trying to affect change, or should I actually just go serve queer people of color? And everyone said, no, 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 you, you know, do this, do this. And I knew I didn't want to do it. And then... So it sounds like your answer is yes. So maybe question. it is, yeah. <laughs> maybe, yeah, because perhaps the universe responded to my subconscious saying, this isn't where I want to be. But what the situation No, but it's things done, like... That... Go on, what were you going to say? Well, what the situation so has done is like... It's cracked open for me the potential of an entirely different conversation. And one that's more focused on how we self-actualize, how we become the people we want to be. Because from 2010 to 2017 and to the present day, so much has happened. Right. And I'm really interested in, like, not just for myself, but in other people, how do you get from point A to point B? How do you get from anger and rage and disappointment and resentment? And then how do you convert that into the type of generative energy that helps other people. Well, it's about compassion, right? Isn't it? And it's, it's about it's compassion like, for oneself. Yes. And that's a huge lesson I've had to learn over the years. It's well, kindness to myself. Right. And, um, and it was very interesting. It's very interesting that when you said, you know, you, you responded, and I know you tried to get on the front foot with what was going on, and you said, okay, I'm owning these tweets. And then you're saying, but this was, this opens up the bigger conversation of who we are and what we're doing and how we're treating each other. Mm. And, and people, understandably, I think, came back with, no, that's how you behave. That's mm-hmm. not what, how, how I behave. But actually, it is how we behave. It's how we as human beings behave. Um, we, we, are, we all have moments where we say and do things we think why did I say and do that we all have um complexity and Mm. we all have and we and you were very honest when you said that it was self-loathing self-loathing that did it and everyone's kind of like I haven't got any self-loathing when actually as we all know there's an epidemic of self-loathing that's going on and um and in the very fact that we take pleasure in pointing out other people who are making mistakes 
is an indication of our own self-loathing and how back to Caliban right and (laughs) back to the rage upon seeing our own reflection in the mirror and 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 being gleeful that other people are caught yeah and I think I've maintained because I believe that people ought to be outraged when people say ridiculous and heinous shit like I think there there's every right to that outrage and that people should express that you know we are working towards a heightened cultural sensitivity we want this Mm -hmm. I think and so that wasn't what was most upsetting about the situation it was that you know in one fell swoop things that I thought that I had resolved or room came back to yeah and so not only was I kind of like defending the progress I had made I was also like defending a really young sensitive, angry young man who was now being kind of like pointed at and humiliated. And so, you know, there were so many moments where I was just kind of like, you know, trying to hold on to something that wouldn't, that would kind of lessen the terror of it. And then so once I realized that I wasn't upset about people being outraged, but rather that I was upset, like on a really deep, you know, like one, I'd lost the trust of the community I'm here to serve. But I had to deal with this flood of old, what I thought were old, but felt very, very new emotions and resentments and disappointments. Do you you think that you could get, I know you were saying you wish well to them now, Mm -hmm. happiness to people you felt were opposing you. Do you think like you can say, that you can say thank you to them one day? Is that what you're working towards? Yeah, I'm working towards, I'm working towards saying thank you to myself first, right? That, you know, this young man that I was then, and, you know, he's helped bring me to this place. It was only because at some point I woke up and I was like, ah, I'm not participating in the world. I'm numbing myself to the world and I'm not pursuing my potential. Wow. And so it was that anger that I had from the sexual assault and the abandonment issues and everything that I was holding on to and didn't know how to dispel. Well, once I realized that I was, it was eating me alive, then I was able to use it. I was able to transform that energy into something good. It's all the stuff that's in Moonlight, isn't it? The three different boys in one inside the other with the three different names. Mm. You know how they all have, I think one's called Little and one's called whatever the boy's name is. And the one's called Black. Yeah. And, you know, there is this kind of like evolution, this ascension into my blackness. I was writing um, something yesterday and I was talking about how the denial of my blackness meant and because of the privilege that I have from being light skinned and relatively European looking how that's allowed me to kind of go through the world ignoring an aspect of my life and myself and my identity and the deleterious effect that that has and actually that coming back into my blackness and being able to claim that blackness has been like a hugely liberating and 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 powerful development wow Mm. oh thank you thank you Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> a lovely conversation. Yeah, I'm really pleased. Made me thank you. Ricky Beetle Blair is a creative polymath whose body of work spans decades and whose influence and impact is nearly immeasurable. You can find out more about his past, present, and future work at teamangelica.com.
Busy Being Black is the podcast exploring how we live in the fullness of our queer black lives. Thank you to our partners, UK Black Pride and Blackout UK, and to you, the listeners. I would love to hear from you. If you have feedback about Busy Being Black or know of someone I should be in conversation with, please get in touch on busybeingblackpod at gmail.com. And remember, your support doesn't cost any money. Please rate, review, and share this podcast and follow at underscore busybeingblack on Twitter and Instagram, where you can join the conversation using the hashtag busybeingblack. Finally, thank you to Anthony Giles, a queer black Grammy-nominated producer based in New York City, for these bomb-ass Busy Being Black beats. Ashe. This autumn, as the nights draw in, beat the cold with Now TV. Curl up with the latest blockbusters, including Bohemian Rhapsody and Hotel Mumbai. Plus, with over 40 new movies added each month, from Aquaman to How to Train Your Dragon 3, Now TV's got you covered, wherever you feel like watching. Get cosy with the latest and best movies for just $11.99 a month. Search Now TV today. 18 plus month passes auto renews unless cancelled. Terms apply.